Hey there, I'm Sarita, and you're about to experience the modern approach to well-being where you get to establish the best and most important relationship you will ever have, the one with yourself. I'm on a mission to help you declutter energy and reclaim your power so you can be a magnet to what you desire. If you're looking for the optimal blend of mindset and healing, you're in the right place. My goal in this podcast is to share tools, resources, and practices that will help you along your healing journey. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So welcome to Back to Here with Sarita. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to my podcast. And as usual, I am so grateful and happy that you're here with me today as I share a very, very special episode with you. But before I get into that, I want to give you a little life update. For those of you that follow me on social media or have been in my network for a little while, you will know that this year's word is all about expansion and that includes travel. And I just got back last week from Las Vegas, which was super duper fun. And for the first time ever, I was reflecting on this just the other day, that I was able to visit and experience Vegas from a place of pure abundance, meaning that I was soaking up all the abundance of the sun, hanging out, creating amazing connection with friends and spending a lot of cash. And so it was so much fun and I was so happy that I had a trip like that to experience abundance in that way and then I got back and now I am currently pet sitting and house sitting for someone who has a beautiful home by the beach and so my expansive experience is continuing to flow so that is where I am right now and I wanted to share that with you it has been a really fun year so far and it is actually crazy that it's June already can you believe how fast six months has flown by and hopefully you've had a chance to check in and take some time to look at your goals and your desired manifestations that you created in January. If not, this is like a totally great time to do it. Um, and so next month, actually, I'll be doing an episode kind of like a half year check in because I want to make sure that June is all complete because that is around like the six month mark. Just letting you know uh, that is coming up next month. Okay, so before I dive into the meat and potatoes of the episode, I wanted to share with you why I'm creating this special episode about outsourcing my worthiness and my adoption story. This week of June, meaning June 4th, marks 40 years that I have been in the United States or 40 years that I came to this country as an immigrant through international adoption. And it dawned on me that a lot is unraveled during that time that has gotten me to where I am now. And so if you don't know or you're just learning about me, I am what is considered an international transracial adoptee, or sometimes I like to call myself a Latina transracial adoptee. And what that means exactly is that I came to the United States through international adoption, and I was adopted by a family whom is of a different race and origin of my own. I was born in El Salvador, and at the tender age of three, I came to this country when I was adopted by my mother, who actually went down to El Salvador, mind you, and that was during the commencement of the Civil War, a really crazy time, and brought me back to the States where I was raised in a very suburban part of St. Louis. 
Now, as an adoptee, I want to give you a little insight about something I find fascinating as adoptee children are often told when we are young that we are quote unquote lucky or quote unquote special in the view that somehow we like dodged a bullet from the life that we could have lived. So basically, I avoided the life that I could have lived probably in poverty in El Salvador. So as a child growing up, I had this belief that somehow given this opportunity that many of my birth family members or other people from my country or other, you know, people of developing countries was not provided, that I should be grateful. In other words, I was told that I should be grateful for the opportunity. But the interesting part of this as a child, even though I was being told to be grateful, and told that I was unique and special, I was never given the space to actually mourn the part of myself that got uprooted and detached. And for a lot of adoptees, many international adoptees have not had the space to do that either. I'm not solo when I'm saying this, this is an experience that we have. So in this episode, just to back up a little bit, so in this episode, I'm laying the foundation of my identity so you get to know me a little bit more. And then the second part of my adoption story will go into more of unpacking the identity and how it's caused me to move and function in this world and to where I am now. So lots of unpacking from this episode to the second one. And just a disclaimer, this material may be sensitive or heavy for some people so if you need to take a break please please pause and come back my intention is never to make anybody feel uncomfortable but it is to share with you in hopes that you find and see yourself in the story in some way or possibility so like i said i came to this country as a little a little bit older than toddler age at the age of three already speaking Spanish, and well into my personality as a little Aries full of fire energy. And if you have ever had children or been around a child at the age of three, you know that there's a certain level of like headstrongness and this need, this need to just like exert their independence, but also this deep need to like actually need you as well. So that was totally me. And at that age, there's a level of awareness that is you you see what is going on around you and you're like a big sponge. And what we know about the subconscious mind, right, is from the age of zero to seven, we are a big sponge and we soak up everything, but we don't necessarily know why things are happening around us. And that was the hardest and most challenging thing for being a little being was the question of why was I being taken away, put on a plane to go to a completely foreign place where my caretaker didn't even speak the language that I spoke, sleeping in a new house, being in a completely new environment. If you can just empathize for a moment, that was really challenging for a little, little girl. I was adopted in June 1983, and for the better part of the summer 83, I was trying to figure out how to communicate with my new family members, sleep in a new home, and absorb all the sights and sounds around me. It was a lot. 
not to mention learn a whole new language. And luckily for me, being the person that I am, I'm designed to be brave and adventurous. That's part of my like Aries personality. And also I was designed to be outgoing and playful. So it was probably a little bit more simple for me to transition. But for those adoptees that are introverts, a transition like this can be terrifying as hell. And not saying that it wasn't terrifying, it was very terrifying. For me as a little child, I kind of remember there's being a certain level of excitement, but also this sense of tentativeness. Being a little human being with my sunshiny personality, that when I was scolded or told no, I didn't understand why. And I was navigating some pretty large emotions. And for those of you that are in human design, this is a reading that I do for my clients. I'm a 3-5 generator with emotional authority. And so an emotional authority basically has a wave of emotions that guides them. And that has been me since the beginning. I had big, big emotions as a child. So if you can imagine the lack of understanding of the people around me, the lack of understanding of where I was, being ripped away from my mother, my birthland, my language, and being plopped into a whole new territory brought up some very big emotions for me, like anger, frustration, bitterness, sadness, and a lot of crying. And that is a lot, a lot for any human to experience, let alone a little three to four year old to have with those big emotions. And at the time, unfortunately, there were not really any resources for adoptees, let alone adoptee parents. Today, thank God, there are a plethora of different ways in which both parties can obtain support through therapy, and it's not a taboo subject as it was back in the 80s. Now you see more adoptees and transracial adoptees' perspectives, which I absolutely love because it allows people to see that it doesn't need to look a certain way. And honestly, that is what has fueled my fire for sharing this episode. So as you can imagine, growing up in a very predominant white suburban household, not only was I forced to acclimate quickly for survival purposes, I was also detached more and more from birthland country and language as time went on. And it felt as though I had forgotten who I was in order to survive and thrive in my new environment. But again, there was constant reminders of how different I truly was. If it wasn't just looking in the mirror each day as a kid seeing my brown skin and then turning around and seeing my white mother or being one of the few children of color in my school, I knew that I wasn't being celebrated. We take such effort in celebrating individuality now that wasn't being the case. I knew that I was being othered. My recourse for feeling different was I often lashed out in anger to the people around me. I was a very confused and angry child and I never got the opportunity to express why I was so angry and frustrated. And unfortunately, I had caretakers that had no level of understanding or capacity for my frustration. What they witnessed was a child with behavioral issues. So I was told as a young child to be seen and not heard. 
to be more quiet, to act like a lady, to do as I say. Hearing those phrases, I don't know if any of you heard those phrases growing up. I mean, that really dates me because I truly believe people don't say that to their children anymore. But hearing those phrases on top of all that I was experiencing made me even more mad and frustrated because I quickly learned that in order to get what I wanted and needed, I had to conform to their principles and thinking to those around me, aka the adults in my life. So in regards to the area of self-love, I was taught from an early age that others knew better than me and my ability to listen to myself and my needs were really, really back burner. And as a young child growing up in white middle-class suburbia, I did a certain level, I did have a certain level of privileges that my counterparts did not have access to, like ice skating lessons, summer road trips, a private school education. I had a lot of fun. And most kids accepted me because I was just like them, like happy and joyful in life. But the flip side or the inner part of me, the child, was really, really lost and felt like she didn't belong anywhere. And so in my childhood years leading up to the age of 12, I wasn't exposed to anything that had to do with my culture, let alone have a role model that understood me or my journey. And even after the age of 12, when I started to experience more Spanish and meeting more people that were brown just like me, it was just a taste of my culture in like sporadic moments, never the full depth experience. It was as though I was like tasting an appetizer over and over again and not being able to experience like the full, full meal. So as you can imagine, being detached left me feeling like I wasn't really who I showed up to be on the outside. And so naturally, I found it easier to acclimate and survive and operate from a place of neutrality and basically forgetting the parts of me that I had left behind years and years ago. Like typical preteens in middle school, when things took a turn, I started to notice how much I stood out. I had the privilege of going to a private school by a mother who was a teacher who very much valued education. And in being in the private school, I was one of the very few children of color and I started to notice more deeply the color of my skin and the difference of my hair from my counterparts. And unfortunately, I didn't have a sibling of my age to help navigate the waters of puberty, which made it even harder for me to handle. By only exposing myself to Latin culture when I did my ballet folklorico, it's a traditional Mexican type of dancing that I would would do, I would do it on the weekends with some other friends who were actually also adopted from El Salvador. And we would perform at these different quinceañeras and parties. And so all of us, the four of us, would get glimpses of dancing and speaking Spanish and basically the Latin experience. There was like a certain level of intrigue that I had from like looking from the outside, peeking in, and a certain level of desire that I felt that I wanted so badly just to like melt into their world and never come back. I always stood apart because I was the brown kid who didn't speak Spanish. And this identity really landed for me when in ninth grade, a Puerto Rican boy looked at me and said, you don't know Spanish? Like you aren't really Latina then, right? And that planted that seed, another seed that I didn't fit in, that I was fake, that I was not enough. 
And so that not enoughness, that not enoughness continued with me for years to come. And I'm still unpacking that part of me with those complicated layers of quote unquote, not being enough. And that not enoughness feeling has come from being adopted and feeling like I was not enough for my birth mother. And that being the reason why she gave up. For the times that I was told that I was too much, that I should be seen and not heard, and acclimating to what my adopted mother wanted, to seeing that I didn't have the white skin and blonde hair like so many of my counterparts, so I felt not enough beauty-wise, and that my Spanish was not good enough, and I wasn't able to speak it well, so I didn't feel Latina enough. I was told by my white adopted mother at an early age, you have to work harder because of the color of your skin. And that planted the seed that if I didn't work hard, that I was not enough. So many avenues that provided me the verification of not feeling enough. And as I got into my young adult years, I noticed not only was I being somewhat rejected by generally the people of color in my life, but also the people of my own culture in my life as well. I had a really hard time fitting in with the Latino kids in my school. And as few of them as there were in college, and oftentimes they had little to no patience with me when I spoke Spanish. And so they would just speak English to me, even though I desperately wanted to practice. Luckily, I found solace in a few empathetic friends who understood that I was a victim to my circumstances. And I found as a typical teenager that I tried exceptionally hard to fit in. Being a teen is a challenge and I can't even conceptualize doing it in today's world. Like I cannot even imagine right now being a teenager and navigating 2023, let alone going through the whole process again. But navigating the layers of being a teen and then also being a child whose parent was white and you were not was even more complicated. And so that was when I started to relate more heavily with the kids in my life that were biracial, meaning one parent was of one race and the other one did not look like them. Without speaking about it, there was somehow this like understanding that we had because we knew that we were navigating life in like a totally different way than our counterparts. So my college years, I spent a lot of time just understanding the more complicated layers of racism and ethnicity. And it was not that I never thought about it, but it was because there were certain levels that I distanced myself from because I was able to and I had that privilege. It was as though I'd forgotten about it until I was reminded of it, like that example of me looking in the mirror. College is when I started to see how race really played a big part in how people operated in the world and how being the more outgoing person that I was, I was really lucky that I was easily able to slip back and forth between the two dynamics of white and non-white pretty easily. The empowered version of myself thought it was kind of cool that I could be a bridge between the two cultures, but straddling a divide and being a chameleon, constantly negotiating my spaces in each place that I was, so not being my true authentic self, got really, really exhausting after a while. And on top of that, I was often criticized for not being enough or being too much, 
with my white counterparts, I felt like a, a burden of carrying the load of being like the token brown friend or somehow being that person that was like the link to the culture if nobody else was available. And little did they ask about my roots, my experience, or getting to know me of like my adoption and being brown. Yet I was one of them without really even trying so hard because they accepted me being that uniqueness. However, with the peeps of my color counterparts, at times I was accused of acting quote unquote too white, which was evident in the way that I spoke and I dress. And I even get that today. I even get accused of that today when I open up my mouth and speak Spanish with an accent or speak English with larger vocabulary. I find it so interesting how many times as a young child growing up into my teens and my adult years that I allowed people to tell me my worth and my value based on what they thought was normal or acceptable. Those feelings got planted early as a child and I carried them with me through and it's affected the way that I've showed up in relationship dynamics as well. I remember in my late 20s, I was dating someone whom I thought I felt so unworthy of dating and a lot of it actually stemmed from the feeling of inadequacy in being not Latina enough or being told growing up that I was whitewashed. So what did I do in the relationship? It caused me to sabotage it and not take ownership of where those original thoughts actually came up in the first place. So it wasn't until I applied to graduate school back in 2007 and started my master's degree when I took a big shift in me regarding my adoption identity. I decided to study identity and discovered there was a title that actually described the type of adoptee or person that I am, which is called a transracial adoptee. And like I mentioned, transracial means someone, somebody that has been adopted into a dynamic where the caretaker, most likely a parent, is of a different race than the child is. And most commonly in the last few decades, uh, when I was actually doing my research in 2007, so the decades prior to that and ongoing, up until just recently within the last like maybe five some years, most of the narratives have come from black children who are adopted into white families. But with the surge of international adoption and more children that are brown in the system, and uh, like I said, international adoption, the dynamic has shifted to more Latino children with white parents and Asian children with white parents. Regardless of what race, we all share this commonality that we never had a choice in the matter and that we were taken and expected to function as quote-unquote normal children, forgetting that complicated layer of having parents and oftentimes siblings that were completely different than us and navigated the world differently than us. I have the extra complicated layer that I'm also an international transracial adoptee. So I came to the States through means of adoption. And after doing studying like countless psychology papers on identity, I realized that there was a reason for the feelings that I had growing up for not feeling enough. 
The feeling of unbelonging and not enough for others, feeling insecure, being a people pleaser, avoiding pain, not getting close to people, not being a good communicator, the list goes on and on. There was a reason for that. The identity is so complex as a international transracial adoptee and a transracial adoptee. And to add to the complexity of the identity, as a transracial adoptee or international transracial adoptee, I have two mother wounds, the mother that birthed me and gave me up and the mother that raised me. And so I came to understand myself during my graduate student years from a very like scholarly perspective by reading all those psychology articles and books. But it wasn't until much later that I started healing what I was unpacking during my graduate studies from a more spiritual and healing space. So my graduate work was about 15 years ago and at the time, like I said, there was little resources for transracial adoptees. So I felt really alone in the unpacking of all those dynamics and my journey. Even finding other transracial adoptees to interview was so hard let alone finding Latino ones because that is what the identity I was focusing on. Fortunately enough for me, I had a very close friend who is also still a dear friend of mine who was adopted from Puerto Rico when he was six years old with his three other siblings. So I was lucky enough to bounce off ideas off of him and that was super, super helpful. And one of the things that I found really interesting in my studies with being a uh, international adoptee is that there's a particular effort that us international adoptees, transracial adoptees go through when it comes to reconnecting with our culture. Often it's this process of relearning like parts of us that we've lost and that is through things like food, language, maybe even dance and a lot of us are not ever fully connected and by society standards and I speak from a filter of being Latina I may never fully be immersed in my culture in the way that society deems acceptable. I may never speak Spanish with the quality like my counterparts speak who actually grew up with the language and I may never quote unquote be what it is expected of me and now I am totally okay with that. And so what has set me apart from the child that I once was and the adult that I am now is the agency that I have to create my own identity for me and not for anybody else. No longer am I outsourcing my worth to someone by letting them tell me how and what I need to be in order to be molded and fit in and survival. And this dynamic has shifted as I'm still in the process, (laughs) still in the process of reclaiming the parts of me that were once lost. So thank goodness that we have resources like social media, like TikToks that are talking about transracial adoptee perspectives from the actual adoptee themselves, groups that are there to support adoptees navigating their identity and even reunion with their family members. And I wish that we had had those resources when I was a child, but I'm so grateful for the children and young adults that have these avenues in which they can have support. So I am not done, nor am I fully healed from that child that was lost and confused. But I've also done a lot of work to heal the parts of me that I thought were not enough 
just based on the way that I look and sounded. These things that once bothered me so heavily no longer trigger me to the extent that they did. And I'm so grateful that I've been openly able to share this story with you and this experience because honestly, that is part of the healing as well. So I really hope this episode has been insightful for you and giving you a little more of a peek inside about my adoption identity and journey. And like I mentioned, this is a two-part series where I'm going to speak, I'm going to follow up with the worth and how it shaped me in part two. I'll go into a little bit more depth when it comes to my self-love, my worth and identity, and that of a people pleaser. But this one was just setting the foundation so you knew and know exactly who I am and where I'm coming from. If you found this episode powerful, please, please, please take a moment to leave a review for me on Apple Podcasts. And I would love to hear from you, even if it's sending me a DM at Sarita Wellness. I would love to get a message from you. If you are an adoptee and listening to this, I hope it served you well. And if you need or want support, please feel free to reach out. I completely understand the complexities of what you are and what you're going through. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, keep being the amazing you that you are. Hey love, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you adored what you heard, it would mean the world to me if you took a moment to leave a review on the platform you are listening to this episode on. By doing this, you are helping my mission to impact other women with their healing journeys. If you aren't already following me on social media, make sure to connect with me at Sarita Wellness to get your weekly dose of inspiration. I can't wait to be with you in the next episode, but in the meantime, keep being the amazing you that you are.